Well, today is uh, Vision Sunday, and uh, Vision Sunday is the first Sunday of every month, and what we want to do is remind you kind of where we're headed uh, over the next 12 months. And, and last month, I talked about, a, uh, I talked about community covenant, covenant becoming a church that only God could get credit for. And what if, what if the, the people that call community covenant, home, community covenant church home uh, were deciding and discerning and chasing this church community becoming a church that only God could get the credit for, what would that look like? And so over the next uh, number of months, what we're going to be doing is teasing out what that might look like for us. And so over the month of February, uh, we, did, we did a couple things. One, we sent out a, a survey to your unchurched friends and family, and you were able to spread that. We had 101 responses uh, to that survey from your friends and family. Um, 70% of them said that they had no uh, church involvement or engagement whatsoever. Uh, 30% do because 30% of those respondents said they do have uh, church, uh, church background and church involvement currently uh, because some people just like to respond to surveys, I guess, apparently. Uh, so, so, 30, so it's a 70-30, so we we're able to hear quite a bit about it. And we were able to hear kind of the heartbeat about uh, what, what, what stopped them from attending church or what stopped them or, or what could start them engaging with that again, but just general wisdom from our community, from our friends, from our family about what would it look like to have a church that really me- was meaningful in the community. Uh, and so it was awesome to begin to, uh, we're beginning to decipher through those and move through those responses. Um, we also had a leadership team meeting with our elders and our staff and we began dreaming about some of the stuff that we saw in the same manner. So if you're a volunteer, tonight is your major response, uh, your, major, your time to majorly respond to, the, to this movement. And so you're going to have a time to meaningfully discuss and engage uh, with all of this. So you definitely want to be here for tonight's team night. Um, if you aren't, aren't able to be here, we will try to get your, uh, your responses to these things later on. Uh, throughout the week, uh, but, but it's not going to be the same as if, as if you were in a discussion and engaging in a meaningful back and forth with uh, your team uh, regarding some of the feedback that we're looking for. So definitely want to be here tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. Also, at the end of the month, we're going to be doing a worship night on March uh, 25th, uh, the, which is Palm Sunday. And we're, we always kick off Easter week with some sort of a worship gathering or prayer gathering of some sort. But make a, make a plan for March 25th to be here for worship night because you'll also begin to respond as a church uh, to our overall dream for what it might look like for Community Covenant to be a church uh, that only God could get the credit for here in Southern New England. So we definitely want to, so make, make a note of those. That's where we're going to continue to listen and continue to engage with you uh, so that we can decipher and discern together what God might have us do so that we can be a church that only God could get the credit for. We, we tracking this morning? This is going to be, a, I think, I, honestly, I'm really excited about it. I hope you are too. Um, it's been a lot of fun just hearing responses, uh, both positive and extremely negative with colorful language. It's awesome. It's, it's a really, really, really incredible stuff. So, hey, we're halfway through uh, the Lenten season, and uh, the series that we're doing right now is Pray for One. And, and I've been praying for one this week and asking God, God, give me sh- God, share one story, share with me a person that I can share your love with. God, give me one person today uh, that I can share uh, your love with. And, and, you know, love comes all throughout different ways. We can share God's love through, through just expressing this. And there's a friend, uh, again, at the Hope Center this past weekend, a guy named Clayton that we've been able to interact with over the last uh, number of weeks. And he's been coming with his, with his daughter the first week he gave his first, his, probably his last $3 that he did to buy a bag of food uh, with him and his friends, with him and his daughter. And then he just kind of ma- managing to try to make it work. And then it turned into last week, he just get, got a little bit more scraped together. You could see him developing week to week. And every week he looks at you right in the eye with this determined look and shakes your hand and said, I'm going to do this. 
And for us, we've been able to share with him what, what it looks like to have a, a life that's full of life and a life that has uh, deep depth and meaning. We've been able to share hope in a moment of his life that where he's really going through some major turnaround. And we're simply asking God, 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 give us one person that we can share your love with today. And I, I've been trying to do that as much as I can this week. And I hope you have too. And if you've been he- hearing your stories and having God answer that prayer, because he wants to answer that prayer. He, that's a prayer he wants to answer for you, but it's a matter of whether or not we want to let the love that we have been so lavished upon us flow outside of us. Whether we understand discipleship to be true or discipleship just to be about learning. We understand when we pray for one, we know the difference between whether we're becoming an expert uh, Christian or someone who's an obedient Christian. That when we pray for one, it literally is God showing his love to us and allowing his love to flow through us to the people that we meet every single day. And so we're going to continue to decipher that today. But we, praying for one is simple. It's a simple prayer that says this, God, give me one person to share your love with today. God, give me one person to share your love with today. And if you put these lenses on, it'll change everything about the way that you see the world. And this is truly uh, biblical. I love Paul. Paul says this in Colossians, where he's asking for this type of prayer to the people from Colossae. He's saying, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Say, God, just can you pray for me that, that I could have the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, that I could have the opportunity to share the message with somebody, that I could have the opportunity to share the mystery of Christ. What I love about Pray for One is that Pray for One literally is, is kind of like an all-in-one package. How many love all-in-one packages? Come on, you just get it all done. All the guys, raise your hand in this room right now. Like, you want to go to Walmart, right, so that you can have everything that you can do in one place and then go home and watch football, right? That's kind of, that's my life. Like, I just want to go to one place so I can get everything done. I want, I want like, kill two, the favorite phrase, kill two birds with one stone. Man, that just kill two birds with one stone. Drives my wife crazy, right? Just, it's this moment where like, we, like, we just love all-in-one packages where, where everything that we can do, everything that we want to do, everything that we need to do can get done quickly uh, and efficiently because just we're good Americans like that, right? But Pray for One is kind of like that. It's, it's this idea where you can experience every aspect of your discipleship and your growth with Christ in one simple prayer. Pray for One establishes and accomplishes the, all three aspects of what it means to be a disciple if you, you, so that you can worship, so that you can have community, and so that you can have mission. If you say, God, give me one person that I can share your love with today, what you're doing is you're engaging in a worship relationship. You're saying, you're the, you're the reason I live. You're the reason that I engage with this. You're the reason uh, that, that, that I continue to live. Um, and I want to align my heart with your heart so that I can begin to do the things that you need me to do. It's about your message in my life. It's about your kingdom in my life. It's about your creation, and I'm the creator. And so you're, when you pray for one, you are engaging with the creator of the universe in a prayer relationship that is aligning your heart with his heart. And when you pray for one, you're engaging with community because in order to pray for one, you actually have to engage in a healthy relationship in some manner. And so we do that together as a church, and so we're aligning our hearts together as followers of Christ. But you're also aligning your heart together with another person because you're desiring to see them through the lens that Christ sees them in. And, and, if, and if you're just not so much a nice person, you're not going to see a lot of results to this. Can I get an amen, right? If you lead with your political agenda in, in a pray-for-one relationship, probably not going to get anywhere, right? Like this, you got to build some relational skills when it comes to this sort of thing. 
this sort of thing. But, but praying for one isn't just worship, it's not just community, it's also mission because, because like Jesus, when he moves into the city of Jerusalem and begins to weep for the city, it's one of the most poignant verses, I think, in the New Testament. You see the emotion of Jesus moving into Jerusalem, heartbroken on Palm Sunday because he knows what's about to happen. He knows the city is going to send him into this and he's just deeply moved, deeply broken by the fact that he is disengaged from the people that he has created. And when you're engaging with a pray for one uh, mentality through the world, you're literally looking at the city with deep empathy, deep movements, deep grief, or deep just disconnect so that you can begin to say, God, put this back together again. Let us see the restoration of all things through your church because when I pray for one, I'm asking that God would use me in the midst of that broken relationship. And so pray for one is literally this entire prayer. I can do it all. And you see this story in a, in a really awesome, you see this sort of play out in a, in a really cool story in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. So if you grab your Bibles, you can go to page number 921, I believe it is, um, and go to Acts 16, where, where you're going to read a story about the, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament, if you are unaware of him, um, wrote most of the New Testament, and, and he actually uh, was, a, what was, a, was a leading missionary for the, for, for the Gentile people. So he had the message of Jesus, was moving into the Gentile world, and, and began to engage uh, with, the, with them, sharing the story of Christ. And he always got put in jail because it wasn't really looked highly upon uh, when you were preaching someone different than Caesar at that time. And so this is actually where he's about to end up in Acts 16. And, and we're gonna read kind of the, the, the back part of the verse, but, but here's the story. Paul and Silas, they're walking uh, in the city and, and they, 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 they kind of have this, this girl that's always behind them saying, hey, these people want to talk about Jesus. And, and she happens to be demon-possessed because that doesn't freak anybody out, right? Um, and so the, she happens to be demon-possessed and she's walking behind them kind of chanting these things, knowing that they are gonna kind of get on uh, their nerves. And, and what happens is Paul turns around and he says, you know what, demon, get out out of her. How many, how many have gone into Starbucks and said that this week? <laughs> yeah, think about, think about that, right? He just says, you know what, demon, get out of her. And, 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 and really what the problem was, this woman was a fortune teller. And she used to make a lot of people a whole lot of money using this gift that the demon, uh, with the demon being inside of her. And so what ends up happening when the demon's out of her and she's the, and she's the, and she's the person sharing these fortunes, they lose a whole lot of income because of that. Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of people happy, right? So a crowd begins to form around Paul and Silas and they just beat the tar out of them, right? How, how awesome would that be? You're just going, you're gonna go to Bliss Soccer Field or Hoboth, you know, you're just doing the thing, you begin to talk about Jesus and people gather around and just beat you with clubs and sticks, right? Welcome to discipleship. And so what ends up, so after that, they take them and they throw them in jail. And, and that's kind of not where things get better because when you're in jail in these moments, you're not in like a, you know, a, a nice sort of like third class facility that we have today. You're in a bottom of a cave underneath a, a, you know, a piece of wood that maybe might have some ability to have light, perhaps, probably not though. And there was one person, there was a jailer that was responsible to make sure these people didn't go anywhere. Paul and Silas needed to stay there. So what does Paul and Silas do? They just begin to sing and pray because that's exactly what you would do if you were in prison after getting beat up, right? They're like, we all like to think sometimes that we're at that level. <laughs> sometimes, I don't know, man. So when I read this story, I think, God, you gotta do a work in my heart because I'm not sure that's what I would be at that moment. 
But maybe at that point, you just got nothing left. You say, God, you know what? Can you meet me here in this prison cell? Can you meet me here in this prison cell? And for, for me, I believe that God does. God does that. And, and so, he, so you have Jesus uh, kind of interacting with Paul and Silas in the midst of this prison cell. They begin to sing. They begin to pray. And what ends up happening? The walls of the prison cell fall down. Like, like everyone, I, you know, never preach this in a prison, right? That, that sort of idea where everything begins to change for, for this. Now, now, this is bad news for the jailer. Bad news for the jailer because if they leave, he's dead. He knows this. He knows this. And so the jailer just you know, says, I'm going to finish the process now so I don't have to go through torture. He takes out his sword to begin to kill himself. And, and Paul says, no, stop. We're here still. We're stopped. We're here still. And that's kind of where we uh, pick up in verse 16. Uh, in verse 29, he says this. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what I love about this is that the jailer interacts with the power of God for the first time. And the first thing that he does is he's moved towards salvation. And they replied in verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. And even at the hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now, what I love about Luke and the way he writes the book of Acts is that he, he could have stopped there, could have stopped there, but he continues the story because they actually find out, the officials of the city find out that Paul and Silas are Roman citizens, and it's not really looked high upon if you were to be a Roman citizen and thrown in jail. And so they say, can you just ask them to leave? And Paul says, uh, you just beat me up and threw me in jail, and you're sending a servant to come ask me to, for, to leave? No, no, no. You're got to come back here and ask me to leave. Read the rest of the story. It's a lot of fun. The Bible is incredibly uh, poking sometimes. It's, it's a lot of cool. It's very, very cool to watch. But in Acts 16, you see the story of this jailer. And what does he say when he begins to the story of salvation in his life, when he begins the journey of salvation in his life, um, the, 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 the phrase is very simple. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Now in uh, Western America, what does household mean? Me and my three kids, right? It's this, it's this personal mentality, this idea that it's just me, my wife, uh, me, my kids, maybe me, my parents. It's, it's kind of just this idea where everyone in my house begins to meet Jesus. And that's a prayer for us. We want to see our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, our children. We, we say here at Community Come, we want to see not only our children, but our grandchildren's grandchildren to meet Jesus. So certainly this household is something that we want to engage in in today's day and age. But that's actually not what house meant in the first century. This Greek word is the Greek word oikos. And oikos is this idea where there's a lot of different people in it. And so there's a simple little graph for you to kind of take a look at. Uh, the oikos um, really is your family, your colleagues, your neighbors, your church people maybe, your hobbies, and your friends. 
It, this household for them was kind of like everyone that they did life with, everyone that kind of interacted with at a normal basis. For this jailer, it would have been his servants and the people that worked for him, uh, worked alongside of him in gar- guarding the prison cell. It would have been his family, certainly, because you know, the story says they brought him into his house. His neighbors, his neighbors were engaging. A lot of houses were very close together, so certainly if one person was going through this sort of thing, everyone would have been, and everyone would have known about it. And so the oikos was really not just the people that lived with you, but it was this understanding that where really it was a, a, a group of people um, that, lived you, that lived around you consistently in your life. This can typically be about 40 to 50 people. About 40 to 50 people in your life are going to be surrounded you, they're surrounding you, and you're going to be naturally living life with them. It's these natural relationships that you begin to see um, uh, every single day, every single, or every, at least once a week, or maybe once a month, but it's a consistent, natural, relating experience between you and maybe 40 to 50 people. And so for you, who would this be? If, if that's what this, this kind of this concept is understanding, that this jailer in his entire household is beginning to meet Jesus because of this event in Acts 16, for you, who are in these boxes that don't know Jesus yet? And if you pray for one, you're saying, God, give me one person to share your love with. It's going to interact with every single one of these boxes in a unique way. Now, what I love, again, what I love about pray for one, not only is it going to help you understand the love that you have been shown uh, is going to come to you, but also the love that's going to go through you, but it's really going to force you to change some things. You put the people in your family box, and you begin, God, give me one person to share your love with, but I don't want to love them at all sometimes, Right? And it begins, to cha- it begins to change you in your heart level. Sometimes your friends, sometimes your friends, you know, you're like if you're a Republican and the Democrat that lives next door, and you be, like, I just can't stand that guy. Well, one day, God's, you're going to ask God to share what, show you one person that you can share his love with, and you're going to end up in a spot where you're sharing some love with someone that you might not agree with a lot. It's going gonna, it's gonna to move you into your hobbies. And when you're standing on the sideline of the baseball field, you're going to stop fighting for your kids, but maybe start fighting for your relationships and engaging with the people that are standing next to you or sitting next to you on the bleachers. And maybe for us, sports isn't so much about how great our kid is doing, but really about how awesome God is in the midst of that because you're there and you're shedding light and you're being salt and everything is engaging in that moment. Perhaps that's a place that Jesus can engage uh, in that manner. But a lot of times we end up spending most of our time on our kid's performance and not on the moments that we can share with people our colleagues at work, or maybe the neighbors. A lot of times, you know, in New England, we don't need a whole lot of people in our, in our buckets because we have generations upon generations that have lived here. But many of you have lived next to people for years and years and years, and you know just a little bit about them, maybe just a social understanding, but perhaps Jesus might be ha- giving you someone to engage with. And even sometimes in church, you can share love of, love of God by encouraging someone or simply spiritually edifying someone in church today. You could also, there are people that come here a lot of times that are just wavering in their faith and you can help them engage with, the, with their faith in God. But for you, that is the oikos. And for us, I, I would say, look at, looking at this, there's a lot of people in here that might need the love of God. And, and really, we're going to see today that God has given you the responsibility to do that. And so praying for one really does every aspect of becoming a disciple. And so just real fast, these three elements of what it's like to do that. Number one, praying for one is invitational. 
Praying for one is invitation, invitational. Now, now look what is happening in this text. Look what is happening in this text. Um, you see this moment. It's a moment um, that actually moves the jailer into his next step with Christ. A lot of times when we engage in evangelism, engage in any sort of conversation around God, we kind of say, hey, it's so cool, whatever, whatever you think you might need. But really, there's this pointed question and a pointed response. What must I do to be saved? And, and, and Paul responding, here's how you can be saved. For us, it might not be so straightforward, but it could be something like, hey, would you come with me to church? Because, because I think it would be really awesome if you did that. I, I shared the story of Maria um, from the Hope Center a few weeks ago where I said, you know what, you, you serve here faithfully like a week after week after week after week and you love it. And you know, everyone that serves here goes to a really cool church just up the street. It would be really awesome if you would come on Easter Sunday. So we've been praying that Maria and her, and her fiance would come uh, on Easter Sunday with us. And, 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 and really, but it's this moment where you need to step out and say, who can you personally engage with? That's the pointed question, this invitational moment. Now, because, because this is constantly something that we engage with in church world, we feel like there's a lot of pressure sometimes, don't we? Can, we? can we just call that out? Do you ever feel like that? No, just me today? Okay, cool. And I'm the pastor, so that must be real bad. Invita- an invitational moment. Because in order to have invitational moments, you need to have an invitational life. In order to have an invitational moment where you are pointing someone to an experience that they can have with Christ and praying that God might engage with them, you need to have a, sort of an invitational life where you're able to see this, uh, see this viewpoint that God would have. And this was, Jesus was constantly asking about this and constantly talking about this. In Mark chapter 5, he, he shares it. He says this, to, to, a, to, a, to a man who uh, was, was healed from demon possession. Again, here we go with demon possession. Mark 5, he says this, Jesus said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. This, this man, what he wanted to do after he was healed by Jesus, he just wanted to be with Jesus. And we have that experience sometimes. We just want to worship or we just want to be with other people that are like him, be like us. And we want to engage in this experience, this awesome gathering or whatever the case is. And we say, God has done so much in my life. I really just want to know him. I really just want to do it. And he, Jesus says, no, don't, don't come with me. Don't come with me. What I need you to do is I need you to go back to your own people and tell them about the mercy that I have had on you. In Romans 10, Paul talks about it again, this idea. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. See, Paul, Paul wasn't saying, you know what, just kind of live a good life and people will understand oh, who this Jesus is and maybe they'll bounce into him. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, tell them. Say something. Move into a conversation, this invitational type of conversation where you can introduce a next step of them in becoming more like Christ. And so you have this idea that, that really we move into an invitational life when we can, pointing, uh, we can make a pointing next step for, for people who are becoming more like him. 
And so for, for you, who is that person? Again, if you throw the Oikos uh, thing on the screen, uh, the graph on the screen, who in your life right now might be ready for an invitational conversation? Is it someone in your friends level, your, sometime, someone in your family, your colleague, your hobbies? Who in your life might be ready for that type of a conversation? And what this is, is you trusting that God is going to use you to grow and expand his kingdom. It's, it's one of the most, I think, one of the most spiritually obedient things that we can do in today's culture. We could say, hey, can I, show you, can, I, can I introduce you to a better way to live life? Can I introduce you to a person that cares way more about anything you've ever done? You don't have, you've never had this type of relationship in your life. And it's this understanding, this introduction of, of involving them and moving them into facts about who Jesus is. Not this idea of spirituality that sometimes we think Christianity is, but it's the facts of a historical person that did historical things, and we have historical accounts for them. Say, so would, you, would you consider that? And so who in your life might be ready for something like that? So, so I love about Pray for One is that Pray for One is invitational and engages us in this moment where we are worshiping Christ. So Pray for One is not only that, but it's also relational. Praying for One is relational. What, look, what, is, what does the jailer do immediately upon receiving Jesus? In verse 33, he says, even that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds, and then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. You see, you see this jailer caring for the wounds and the hurts of the people that, that are around him. It's this relational experience. I mean, certainly the jailer could have said, hey, thank you for stopping me from killing myself. You can go, have a good day. Is that, is it, wouldn't that be a normal response for someone who's in that situation? Certainly you wouldn't, you wouldn't put anything on the guy. I'd be like, okay, cool, just let it go. I'm, I'm safe, you're good, get out of here, please, so none of this happens ever again. But the jailer welcomes them into a relational conversation. He says, no, I want to care for you. Now, this is where we're going to all freak out, right? Because in order to get here, there's some vulnerability that needs to take place. You know, every time they do a census, they do a time study. I didn't know about this until I was researching it over the last couple of weeks. But every time they do a census in the, in the United States, they do sort of a time study to see who people spend their time with. And so over the course of uh, the, the time here, they, they, they kind of broke this down into some different graphs, um, but they, they break it down by every 20 years. So a 20-year-old, a 40-year-old, a 60-year-old, an 80-year-old, and how many hours a day? And so for 20, your friends, you're spiking up, but then it seems like at 40, 60 to 80, it kind of just is very plateaued at a little under an hour, uh, a little under an hour a day. For parents and siblings, at 20, before 20, obviously, it's spiking over four hours a day. And then it goes all the way down and plateaus out. Coworkers, obviously, it spikes at about 20. And then right around retirement age, you begin to see that uh, fall off and taper off. Children, you see it you know, right around 30, 40. You have this four, five, six hours a day. You're always seeing them. And then as you get older, it, it, it seems to go away. Your, your partner in life, your spouse, you're going to see that kind of go up and then really go high at 60, 70, 80. But it always stays very high. But, but look, look kind of what happens when, as you get older, and the isolation that, that kind of you, you can fall into. You begin to be alone, and you begin to be alone more and more. And, and, and relationally, we end up, as we get older, self-selecting the people that we're around and say, you know what, we're good. 
in, in New England, it's called the all set. Right? right? Hey, hey, how's it going? I'm all set. I'm all set. Hey, you want to come to church? Uh, I'm all set. How, how are you doing with your friends? I'm all set. I'm all set. In New England, it's, it's you're all set. This is something my wife said. She said, every time I go to the hospital, they always say, I'm all set. I'm all set. I'm all set. What does that even mean? I'm all set. But we have this mentality in New England, hey, man, we're all set because we got our friends and we got our family. You know, we still hang out with the, the people that we hung out with at 15, still hang out with the, the family the members that we've had because we've lived here for, you know, since the, the founding of the country <laughs> because we don't move away and we've probably lived in the same town within three miles of where we grew up. Can I get an amen? Everyone's like, that's a proud thing for us, man. Proud thing. I live currently a half mile from where I grew up, right? So it's like this is thing about us. Relationally, as long as we are connecting with people that need to know Jesus, we need to be inviting them to take a next step to know Jesus. And so we see this here, um, that, that there's actually something that we need to pay attention to, that as we get older, we need to be very mindful that our, our, our sphere of, of relationships is not shrinking, but is actually either staying the same or growing. Because in order to stay the same, you need to meet some people. In order to grow, you need to meet a lot of people. And being connected in community in some way, um, not just a church community, but other things inside of our towns and our cities and our cultures so that we can begin to be the, 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 the salt and light that Jesus has asked us to be. And when we do this, when we pray for one in a relational way, when, we, we, when we're engaging with people in multiple, you see in multiple con, uh, aspects as we relate to them as people, you see what Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 5 as something that's, that could be potentially, take, that, that could be a good news for us. He says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, this is this ministry that Paul has to, to preach the gospel, we work hard to persuade others. Now, sometimes what I love about this is we work hard to persuade others. How many expect this idea of evangelism to be something like where the clouds open up and the spirit falls and everything's okay and they just understand and they begin to weeping at a table in Starbucks? How many just expect that sometimes? He says, no, no, no. It's hard work. It's intentional work to persuade people about the good news of Jesus. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. This, this is a verse I read maybe once a week to just change and shape my heart about people that I interact with every day. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one point, at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Every person has a potential to become completely brand new, yet often in our relationships, we hold them in their oldness. We're, we're surprised when we see sin pop out and we get aggravated at it. But yet this verse is saying that everyone has the raw ingredients of someone who can become a new person. And if you see them like this, that is a sign and a symbol that you yourself have become a new person. Is that you stopped evaluating others from human points of view. So when you engage with your family members, stop engaging them on a human level. When you engage with the people that are next to you and you say, man, that kid is outgrowing my kid and he's gonna hit home runs more than my kid is. Stop engaging on it from a human point of view because that might not be what you're there for. It might not be what you're there for. 
And so relationally, we begin to see this work, that you begin to treat others and see others, not from a human point of view, but from a Christ point of view, because you yourself are a new creation, and everybody has the potential to become a new creation. So praying for one is invitational. It's also relational. But lastly, real fast, praying for one is missional. Praying for one is missional. What, what, is, what does he do? What does the jailer do? He kind of engages right into mission right away. He says, he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. What if I could tell you that praying for one and, and, and this type of an evangelistic relationship was, was not as hard as we thought it was? What if it looked like dinner? When was the last time you had someone who just didn't know Jesus at all at your house for dinner? And you spent a couple hours with them just getting to know them. Man, something like this could take place over the course of many weeks. I have some pastor friends of mine that just, they, they obviously they spend so much time inside the church with people that they're engaging with and people that they're pastoring, whatever, that they make this actually almost a spiritual practice is that every Friday or Saturday night they have someone that just, just doesn't know Jesus in their house. And all of the colorful things that happen as a result. Sometimes we think we feel holier or feels more spiritual because we're always around people that be, believe in Christ. But in all reality, you see this sort of thing. You're like, hey, what if you're just opening up your house for a meal and pursuing the people that are around you? What if they can see that a Christ-centered family actually works and it's not hokey and weird? What if they can see someone that they say, you know what, you're, I, I kind of want to be like you, or maybe I don't want to believe in what you believe, but I, I, I kind of want to do life the way that you do life. And eventually they will believe in what you believe in because of where it's being sourced from. See, what if you in your life right now really isn't about you making money or isn't really about you, um, uh, uh, you know, living in a certain house or a certain place? What if there was a greater purpose and a greater aspect to it? And this is exactly what, what Luke begins to write about in Acts 17, a little bit after the story. He says this, from one man he created all, this is actually Paul preaching uh, to the people in Athens. He says, from one man he created to all nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. What if we had this view of our life that was not so much about making a certain amount of money, living in a certain type of house, or trying to simply be the safest type of family that we could be? But we had this view of our life that said, really we're here on purpose in this year, in this neighborhood, at this workplace, maybe that job promotion had nothing to do with how good you're doing your job, but was more about the purposes of God working outside of you. It's, it's this idea that we are now becoming a part, we are now a part of the kingdom of God, primarily purposed by God in the way that we live life. And so praying for one literally will, will keep those glasses on you that, no, I don't have this office. I don't have this spot on the team. I don't travel here. I don't do it. I'm always engaging God. Who is the one that I need to 
be seeing, that I need to see like you see? Who's the one that needs to be seen by you today that you're gonna use me to do that? Who's the person that you're gonna help use me to share your love with so that I can begin to see the restoration of all things take place and see lives changed by Christ because I'm a part of God's movement in all things? See, I I believe if we do this, your life will literally change this week. And I think you'll get addicted to it. I think you'll love it. Because, because when we are shown love, it's not meant to stay in one place like a pond. What happens to a pond over a period of time? It just gets scummy, right? And nobody likes scummy people who's hoarding all the love. But perhaps you're meant to be more like a river where, where really there's just things flowing through you and there's, there's this open-handed idea that you and your generosity of your life, that God's love can be given to you and your love, his love can be flown through, shown through you. And what do you think will happen is the more you give that love, you'll be able to experience his love more and more because he's gonna lavish it on you. You won't grow stale to it. You won't grow old to it. It'll constantly stay fresh because you're constantly pouring it out. You know, this week we, uh, the, the, we laid to rest the Reverend Billy Graham. And I know for many of you, you grew up at a time where he just about changed your life. And for, for me as just an aspiring pastor over the course of, of my young life as well, we've often looked at Billy Graham and just marveled at the character and the love uh, that he had for God. And no one really did this more than I think he kind of exemplified it. Certainly with all the warts and the the wounds that he would have had behind closed doors and everyone's trying to talk about those over the last week. But I think he would have been the first person to say, yeah, yeah, open the door. You can see it all you want. Because he had a deep understanding about this. And he had a, a lot of fruit and when John 15 talks about the fruit that you might have, he's talking about this type of relationship with the world. John 15 says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches to, that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Again, when God's love is shown to you, it will be shown through you. And, and, and for Billy, that, that was something that was constantly on display. And I think as a way to honor him in our churches and, and really in our community here, might it be to make it very clear the day that you became a follower of Jesus, the day that you experienced the salvation of Jesus, is that day extremely clear to you? That this is the day that I move from death to life? Is that clear to you the day that you met him and things began to change? Like, like is it clear to you, like, say, hey, this is what my life used to look like before Jesus. I met him, and now here is what my life now looks like. What day was that for you? Might it be a day that's extremely clear Or maybe if it's been a while, maybe just a month. The month is okay too. 
But might you actually call that out to say, this is the day, the month, and commit to say, this is the day I became a follower of Christ. And if this is me beforehand versus afterhand, this is exactly what happened as a fo- when I began, began to meet Jesus. And if you don't know him today, might it be today, as you are introduced to a person that loves you way more than you could ever be loved, as you're introduced to a person that can actually solve the searching you're going for. You, for. For many years, you've been trying to live life, and you just try to live it the better way. You just try to do it the best you can. You constantly feel like you're, you're on a hamster wheel. You're not really sure what's going on because you're trying to just be a better person or do whatever. And Jesus can answer that. He can be the final, uh, the, the final step for that. Or might it be for you just today is the day that you decided to stop, stop, stop leaving and start coming. Maybe for you, it's, it's something that you made a decision for a long time ago, and you need to renew today. But I think it would be great for those of us that have received this to understand how clear this might be. And so today, as we, as we think about the Reverend Billy Graham and all that he had meant for us and our country, might we honor him today by remembering the day that we became a follower of Jesus Christ? So we're going to watch this video and take a little bit of communion to wrap up today. The Bible says in spite of our rebellion and rejection, God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his son to die for your sins. And when Christ died on that cross, he became guilty of lying. He became guilty of slander. He became guilty of jealousy. He became guilty of the most filthy, dirty sins. Christ took the hell that you and I deserve. Now God says, receive him, believe in him, put your trust and your confidence in him, and I will forgive your sins, and I will guarantee you eternity in heaven. It's all yours, and it's all free. All you have to do is receive Today, I'm asking you, to put your trust in Christ. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer, sentence by sentence after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you've died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins I repent of my sins. I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. He's alive. I've given my life not to a dead Christ, but to a living Christ. And he's given me a song to sing. He's given me a flag to follow. I have reason for existence. I know where I've come from. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. Do you?